0: Tonight on Arena, a special programme we have for you celebrating Bridget, the traditions around her, and how contemporary artists are following her lead. Five one double five one is the text. You can tweet the programme at RTE Arena. August Banathina the of or of Galer. Welcome to this Arena special. First of February, a very important day in the Celtic t- calendar. Uh, the title Imbolg or Imbolg, referencing the stirring of the seeds in the belly of Mother Earth as spring prepares to bloom. It's also an important day in the Christian calendar, celebrating the great female saint of Ireland, associated with poetry, with healing, and with craftwork. Saint Bridget Bridget, of course, and so on tonight's program, we celebrate traditions in and around Bridget's Day, as well as the poetry uh, and artwork of contemporary Irish women, and indeed the sometimes forgotten Irish women of our history. And it is there that we start, as to mark the fifty-year anniversary of the Easter Rising in 1966, Claddagh Records released the album *Rebel Irish Women*. It brought listeners into the personal experiences, recollections and songs of three women, women—Maud Gonne mcbride Helena Maloney and Kathleen Behan, who were particularly associated with the events of 1916. In 2022, then, this time to mark the centenary of the Irish Free State, the album was reissued, accompanied by music from singer Nave Burry and the female vocal group Landless. This weekend, Rebel Irish Women takes to the stage of the National Concert Hall for a special concert celebrating... St. Bridget's Day and the New Bank Holiday. I'm delighted to be joined in studio by historian Dr. Mary McAuliffe, who will MC that event, and singer Lily Power from Landless. Just let's look at 1966, first of all, Mary, if we could, and the context for for the release of that uh, that album, then Rebel Irish Women, 50 years after the, the, the 1916 Rising.
1: Well, 50 years after the 1916 Rising, you could say that women were more or less on the sidelines when it came to understanding their roles in the rising itself and the subsequent War of Independence and indeed the Civil War, which of course we're now commemorating. Um, The the, uh, celebrations of the... 50th anniversary, were mostly concentrated on the men of 1916, uh, particularly the signatories uh, who, of course, had been executed uh, and, in fact, all of those who had been executed in 1916. If any women were involved, they were involved because they were related mm. to those They were um, always
0: somebody's brother or somebody's signatories, wife. Yes, or, whatever, or somebody's
1: yeah. wife. Um, for example, Kathleen Clark was very exercised about making sure that Tom Clark got his uh, uh, Deserved position, as she mm. saw it, as president of the First Republic and that he wasn't overshadowed by Pierce. Uh, Anya Kant was involved, but there was nothing particularly about what the women had done in 1916, the Cumin Amman women and the women of the Irish Citizen Army who had been out. And we know, now know from research over the last number of decades that there were over 300 women who participated mm. in the rising of 1916 and 77 of them were actually arrested and imprisoned. And um, but there was nothing really much done about them. So this re- release from Clatter Records was a very important marker. Was it a real
0: were, were Clatter Records at that time? Was, it, was was it a lone voice, you know, shouting about this particular aspect of forgotten history, or not shouting, about stating this position about of, of forgotten history?
1: Well, it was one of the few voices, mm. and and yes, um, and there were very few of them. Orte did a few interviews with. People like Helena Maloney, who mm. we will hear, Margaret Skinner um, and a few others who were still alive. N- now, not all of the women of 1916 were alive, or ind- indeed the men at this stage. Of yeah. course, Markovic had died in the 1920s. Uh, so quite a few of them weren't around to see the 50th anniversary. And it's interesting, the first commemoration of the Easter Rising, done in 1917, a year after it, mm. was done by the women, because most of the men were still in, in, in prison camps. Uh, and it was people like Dr Kathleen Lynn, Helena Maloney, Countess Markievicz, the women of the Irish Citizen Army, went around to the different outposts, which had been used in 1916, and illegally put up uh, tricolours, or past- and they also reprinted the Proclamation of Independence mm. uh, of 1916. And indeed, that's a rarer copy so if you have a 1917 version of the proclamation, uh, that might be even more worth more than the 1916 mm. version. Um, and they pasted that up on the walls and they were followed around then by the the, right. uh, for, the officials, the forces of the state, and, and, and they pulled mm. everything down. But they marked that. And then the first state commemoration was 1924, coming just after the Civil War. And of course, on had been... In the majority anti treaty, so really from then on in you don't get the women. Yeah, it's not it's, Integrated into the commemorations at all. They're forgotten.
0: They're forgotten in. in they in are the marginalised, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and th- the album itself, then, uh, Lily uh, Re- Rebel Irish Women, yeah. mean from from Claddagh Records, it's just one example of. I suppose for a contemporary singer and and mm. traditional musician like yourself. CLADA must be a real treasure trove in fact not just this album but its it's role in the dissemination of traditional music and song is hugely important.
2: Absolutely I mean so many artists uh, you know that were a huge influence on us came through Claddagh, and so it was it was a great honour to be included, yeah.
0: And, and the, the album <laughs> itself, I mean, did you become aware of the album when the idea came around that it might be revisited ahead of 2022?
2: Yeah, I have to admit, yeah, well, absolutely. Well, you weren't around <laughs> yeah. in 1966, no, so you've, no. you're off the hook on that one. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, and uh, what was your reaction on, even on a first listen mm. to it, and what, what stood out for you?
2: Yeah, I think that Helena Maloney um, really. It's just hearing the voices with the spoken word ones, but just just really something like I suppose I had heard recordings of Gone McBride before, mm. but but even that piece is is just fantastic and then but yeah the helena maloney yeah well let's, really let's, let's just listen we, we have that
0: helena mm. maloney clip and you know this is where this oh what, what what were the women actually doing how close to the action were <laughs> were they when you listen to this clip with helena maloney describing her role in the easter rising in particular in and around the the death of sean connie the brother of james you you see exactly where many of the women were and how close to the center of events they were
3: so i got over to the gpo and asked, made my request to James Connolly, who told me to tell Sean that he'd send men as soon as ever he could. So I went back again. And soon after that, Sean Connolly was hit. He was hit somewhere in the body. Hit very badly because he fell and his eyes didn't close. But they flickered. He wasn't able to speak. So I dispatched one of our girls up to Stephen's Green where Dr. Kathleen Lynn was with Michael Mallon. She was the medical officer of the Citizen Army. And she came down and up and examined Sean Connery. And looked very serious, and she said, I'm afraid he's going. And in a few minutes, he did go. I knelt beside him, saying prayers into his ear. And his little brother, a younger brother, about 15, was crying bitterly, oh, so bitterly, by his side. So Sean passed out, very sad and very noble death.
0: That's the voice of Helena Maloney from the album Rebel Irish Women, first released in 1966 and then getting a reissue last year and now uh, with the subject of a concert at the National Concert Hall. And Dr Miriam McAuliffe, historian, and uh, Lily of Landless uh, are in with me in studio this evening, Lily Power, um, it, it is an extraordinary statement. By the way, I think I, <laughs> if been correct, John Connolly and James Conley had no relationship at mm. all. They were, they, well, they were involved in the rising, obviously, but they weren't. They weren't brothers. I presume the surname meant a connection, um, but I suppose they were brothers in arms in some ways, weren't they? But her, what the way she speaks about that event, you really realise, even going across the city to to Stephen's Green, dispatching somebody across to do that. They were taking their lives in their hands going out on the streets at that point in time, I would have thought.
1: Oh, absolutely. And also, Helena Maloney knew Sean Connolly very well. And in fact, there is some hint that they were close. They were Mm. both um, actors on the Abbey stage at that that point and very much involved in the Irish Citizen Army. So they were more than just comrades in arms. They were friends. Um, and, And as well as Dr Kathleen Lynn, who was the chief medical officer of the Irish Citizen Army, Uh, And indeed became the senior officer in the City Hall outpost with the death of Sean Connolly Mm. and is the one who gives the surrender in City Hall. But Helena had been involved in so much up to that point. But that is a very traumatic moment where she's describing seeing not just her comrade in arms, but her friend uh, bleed to death. Um, And and I think it is Bridget Davis who is the young woman um, who is crying and the... Um, Her family have given her uh, um, red cross apron that she was wearing that still has the blood of Connolly on it. Uh, I I believe it's in Kilmainham Jail Mm. Archive. Uh, And so these women were extraordinary women. They were so young and so committed to this ideology. And Helena Maloney was, was asked later on, how come she did this? I mean, when you hear her talking there, that's that's she's involved mm. in war. Mm. Um, and she said, "Why would you ask a woman why she did that? Uh, why uh, you may as well ask, you know, the the white-haired men or the black-haired men? We did it because we believed in an ideology." And Couldn't she truly believed in the yeah. fight for Irish freedom. Um, and she was an ex. And I, I love listening to her voice. You know, she's just your typical ordinary Dublin woman who is committed to a cause and she's committed to, as, as Markovitch yeah. said, the three causes, socialism, nationalism uh, and, and feminism. Yeah. And they were the three great causes that motivated her life. Which but she's is, an extraordinary woman.
0: Yeah, which is probably something we could say about Kathleen Behan as well, whose voice uh, is, on, is on the original recording as well. Let's have a listen to her voice, first of all, Lily, and I'll just get your own reaction to it afterwards. Um, here she is singing Erin Gobra.
4: I'll sing you a song of a row in a town When the green flag went up And the red rag came down Best game played an air in Gobra.
0: I just wanted to get a little <laughs> a, a little <laughs> taste of it there, yeah. Lily Power. Why You know, listening to that voice, it is an extraordinary delivery that Kathleen yeah. Behan had.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And she really, like you say, uh, you know, you can see where, where Brendan Behan Got his delivery from. And even now, like I, you know, we would be involved in a lot of singing sessions around Dublin mm. and um, there's something in, in her delivery. I think that's really kind of lost it or it's that, you know, you can imagine her kind of in a bar really trying to get above the noise and tell the story. And oh, in yeah, fact, yeah, that, see, there's, yeah.
0: a, there's such a strength in the, d- yeah. the delivery of it. You can hear that if she was singing on the street or, as you say, in a crowded bar. Yeah. There's no there's no doubt which voice would be the one that would be heard.
2: Yeah, and it's proper storytelling, you know, she's getting her... And,
0: and I was going to ask you heart, about yeah. that. What, what way do you think that feeds into what you do in, in Landless, mm. it, both musically and in terms of that storytelling, which is such an important aspect of any kind of balladry?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a balance. Like I'd say, because we sing in full part harmony, like mm. a lot of our songs are... are maybe the melody and harmony part of it is stronger than the words and then other ones um are kind of led by the words so i think it, it it's always a balance for us um and there is a difference when you're singing in a in a group to when you're singing individually um and I think sometimes even it depends on the day. You know, someday yeah. you might be really feeling the story and other days you're just taken by the melody and uh, the words are sort of subsumed. <laughs> yeah, well, tell
0: me a little bit about who fears speak. Who fears speak of Easter week?
2: Yeah, it's got a lot of words in it. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I mean, it's just a very powerful, I suppose. And um, whose are the words? They're Brendan Mehan. Brendan yeah. Mehan's words
0: yeah, here. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, we yeah. we recognise the tune, I think.
2: Yeah, it's Spansle Hill, the, the kind of...
0: So and, and, and did, did Behan uh, fit these words on top of Spanser was that the original yeah. that, w- that yeah. would have been his idea mm, and then you guys true. for this reissue of the album mm. indeed obviously for the concert on, yeah. on Friday night then mm. come up with your four part harmony yes. version yeah. of it well let's have a listen to Landless and Who Fears Speak of Easter Week
4: Who fears to speak of Easter week that week of fame Dredon when the boys To fight the forces of
0: a, a flavour there of Landless and Who Fears Speak of Easter Week the, the words of Brendan Behan and Spancit Hill the tune that we heard there and that's uh, there are other songs that you'll be singing at the concert on Sunday evening as well that aren't on the album they're, they're, they're the stuff that you added in and indeed yeah. Neve Burry the, yeah. uh, the the singer will be with you as well on Absolutely, the night yeah. really. so that'll bring that'll bring a whole yeah loads uh, of good stuff no, a whole other dimension <laughs> to it as well but I was saying Mary as we were listening to that Kathleen Behan what were the three things you spoke about earlier on uh, from Countess Markovich.
1: Nationalism, socialism and uh, feminism. She said the, the cause of Ireland, the cause of women and the cause of labour. Yeah, but and well, you could fit Kathleen Behan uh, around that. Absolutely.
0: Because, uh, yeah. you know, again, nothing wrong with referring to her as the mother of all the Behans. She was the mother of all the Behans. But Kathleen Behan had a huge, hugely active political life in her own right, even before she was Behan.
1: Oh, yes, she was. I mean, she was in... Uh, uh, she was a dispatch carrier from the GPO to other outposts during 1916 herself. So she was in coming uh, um, uh She was a married woman with young children then. She's widowed in 1918. I think people forget she... Um, um, Stephen Behan was her second husband. Um, and one of her young sons was called Roger Casement, yeah. furlong. And, um, uh, you know, she, she already... Uh, like so many of those people, she's born in 1899, and that young generation have rejected the kind of constitutional nationalism of their parents. And particularly working class Dublin, uh, men and women are radicalised by trade union activism and the 1913 lockout. And that excitement of, uh, uh, you know, fighting for the rights of Mm. workers. um, And, of course, very influenced by the fight for the vote for women as well and feminism. And then going through cultural nationalism uh, through, you know, attending Abbey Plays, getting involved in the Gaelic League and into militant nationalism. And Kathleen takes that journey along with everybody else. But she has an interesting aspect. She's much more radical than an awful lot of these women. She becomes very anti-clerical. Um, mm. as, as the Behans are growing up in, in Crumberland, which is quite unusual at that time. A lot of the rebels of 1916 are quite spiritual in that uh, we have um, uh, records of them saying the rosary um, in the, the College of Surgeons outpost and the GPO, while uh, Kathleen is very anti-clerical, rejects all the controls of the, the church over her and, and indeed her life and, and, and other people. So post-treaty,
0: was that really... Was that one of the major focuses of her activism? Yes,
1: and, and um, her apparently the house they lived in in Grumlin was known as the Kremlin. The Kremlin <laughs> in Grumlin. And uh, she had a huge influence, obviously, on, on all her sons, including Dominic and Brendan Behan. And there. Um, um politics which would have been very very much left wing uh, so Kathleen is an extraordinary character and these working class Dublin women and uh, we, we need to know more and more about them mm. and their involvement in those radical uh politics. Uh, during that early 20th and into the mid 20th century. Because we hear so much about the, you know, the dead hand of of conservatism of the Irish Free State. But there were a lot of people who were very radical and fighting against that Mm. throughout their lives. And
0: is that there, would you say, Lily, in in many of the songs? Do you get that, particularly that social republicanism, socialist republicanism, is that present in the lyrics?
2: Yeah, across the album, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think... um yeah it's interesting like it's like some of them are more subtle, and then obviously mm. again, like Helena Maloney's piece is just so moving because she's talking about it's just a blow by blow account, it's so detailed, it's so kind of passionate as well as being straightforward, you know, mm. um but yeah, the song's absolutely the other one we have the tricolored ribbon is um it's kind of moving in a different way. I think it has this sort of jaunty tune, yeah. um, but then it's it's quite heartbreaking. And Essentially,
0: it's a it's a young woman singing about her lover with yeah. a tricolour ribbon around his head because he's, he's yeah,
2: dead. Absolutely, and there's a there's a kind of a you know an undercurrent of real anger in it. I think mm. as well. Yeah.
0: So the songs. Will we get some of the some of the audio from the original album as well, like the Helena Maloney story and others?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah Cuz
0: totally I know nice. there's a, there's a great one from uh, Maud Gonne McBride on there as yes, well. yeah. So yeah. yeah that's a, that's on the
1: album yeah. her voice is so different then from the other two. It's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. But well, you know, but she's she's saying the same thing in many ways. Yeah. Well, yeah. let's
0: let's have a listen to to her to finish up with and it is Maud Gonne McBride. Some incredible uh, incredibly poetic words in here, but the anger and the righteous anger that is involved is is clear to be heard And this from the original album Rebel Irish Women.
5: Fifty-five years ago, I was brought home from happy, normal France, where I was educated, to Ireland of the evictions. I watched evictions. I saw whole countrysides and little townlands, devastated with battering ram and fire. Good, honest, hard-working people turned out of their little homes that they had built to wander the roads. The immigrant ship, their only hope. I saw babies born in ditches and die in the infamous overcrowded workhouses. I swore as a girl I would devote whatever strength God had given me to the freeing of my country. As a start, I collected stones for boys to throw at the bailiffs and emergency men. It didn't do much good. For it was guns and not stones that were needed. And the boys went to prison. And I lit bonfires to welcome them when they came out. And I tried, while they were in jail, to help their families so they would find a home to come back to. I hate seeing good people suffer at the hands of worse just because those worse people have law and order at their back. And law and order in Ireland is synonymous with British dominion here.
0: That's Maude Gone McBride as heard on the album Rebel Irish Woman from 1966 and indeed in the reissue that we've been speaking about with Lily Power of from Landless and Dr Miriam McAuliffe all about that album and the concert Rebel Irish Women" special concert with Landless Navebury and Dr Miriam McAuliffe as MC and giving us more historical detail I would guess on the night as well it takes place this Sunday February the 5th uh, at 3pm in the National Concert Hall and you can find out full details on NCH. I e. To celebrate St Bridget's Day 2021, the Department of Foreign Affairs and MOLLY, the Museum of Literature Ireland, have collaborated on a project called Three Poems for St Bridget, a series of three short online films. Each film showcases a poet and a spoken word performer and is based around one of these three aspects of Bridget as the triple goddess of poetry, healing and craftwork. The first of those poems is Old Biddy Talk, written by Paula Mehan, and read here by Ruth McCabe.
4: Have you no home to go to? The young mostly on one another's screens, but these two wrapped in each other at the boundary wall. That genetic imperative, the force that through the pandemic drives their flowering, is my spring rain, is my restorer from the deep delved wells hauled to the healing light of this world. Pure water, tasting of gemstone and iron, quartzite and gold, starlight and planets, the sun and the comets, the moon herself, she sacred to Bridget, mirrored in my bucket. My own breath, old spirit, stirring in the cowl reflection of the earth geologic, old seas. Old forests wherein in once we swung. From tree to waterlogged tree become shale, become coal. Underground tributaries to rivers of oil. Breath lit fuel in their veins. They are fire, vestal and flame. They are immortal.
0: Biddy talk there, one of three poems to celebrate St Bridges Day 2021, uh, commissioned by the Department of Foreign Affairs and the Museum of Literature Ireland. And it was Ruth McCabe that you heard there reading the words of Paul the law With the help of my next guest, Clodagh Doyle, we're going to look at ordinary household objects that relate to St Bridget and this her feast day. The National Museum of Ireland Country Life in Castlebar, County Mayo, encourages visitors to consider the ways we've lived in the past through the objects we used. And on Saturday, it has a celebration of all things St Bridget. Clodagh, as the keeper of the Irish Life Division, is here to guide us through some of the those objects and indeed some of the traditions around the day and okay. night as well and I was thinking Claude, in particular um, at our special uh, programme from Tradfest last week one of our guests uh, the the fiddle player Mairead Niwaini told us a, a story a tradition as I thought it that was just their family uh, they had an aunt who was Bridge, and she used to be sent outside the house to to go around the house three times and then beg, or not beg, but asked to be brought back in. But that that was quite a common tradition, and in and around relatives with the name Bridge. What exactly was involved?
6: Um, well, good evening, Sean. It was it's the idea that when most people had somebody in their family called Bridge, often the eldest daughter, and that. Um, the night uh, before St. Bridget's Day, which was the 31st of January, that's the night when people made crosses and had the festive meal in honour of St. Bridget. But before um, before that started, the eldest daughter or the daughter named Bridget would go outside and bring in, whether it's straw or rushes or whatever the the type of material was going to be used to make crosses, because there were all different types of materials. And then she would knock on the door three times and the family would um, get on their knees and she'd ask are they ready to welcome Bridget into their home and they would reply through prayer and um, there's really good film footage of this um, from a riot program um, taken in Donegal not too far from anyway, um, mm. where she was grow- growing up but yeah so then, then they'd, she'd bring in all of the straw or rushes and then they would be blessed with holy water and then people would start the festive meal and start making the crosses afterwards you yeah. know so usually you for the festive meal and you know people making a variety of different crosses not just one type in any mm-hmm. house different types of ones you know RTE though really
0: they, yeah. they really yeah, That's, kind that's of the one that most people... <laughs> you, before I get before I get to that cross um, there would be merriment in fact was the, was the phrase that Mairead <laughs> Niueni used on the night for the once, once the breed gene or the bridge of the family was, was brought back in and the prayers were had etc etc but the way you describe but they're going around the house three times and knocking on the door and looking to be to be brought back in it sounds like something that has that that isn't just a christian tradition there's a kind of a superstition and a and a folk element yeah. to that as well does it go back further than christianity or do you know that detail
6: I th- I don't I don't think I know, but um I think there's an awful lot of things that you do even even in, in with Bridget in and Holy Wells, anything that kind of when you welcome somebody in or you pass mm. through something or you come through a door and even there is at Brideswell in County West Common there recently where you step down into the well, so it's the, the Bridget well and you know, it's the idea of going through things and even um, there is another tradition, it's called the St. Bridget's Girdle, so it's the crisp free. It's a, like a belt and it's a very big circle. It's like a very large hula hoop, you know, um, are, and hoop of of straw rope and maybe with crosses kind of on it um, and of straw rope as well. And you'd have to pass through this saying a prayer to Bridget. And the, the women had it easy. They just dropped it over their heads and stepped neatly and nicely out of it saying a prayer to Bridget but the men had to go in it you know right arm first right leg first then their head left arm and left leg out so it's kind of you have to pass often through portals and again that idea of getting Bridget into the home is really like welcoming and um, but she's really associated with fertility on the land as well so all the crosses would have been left out um, in the farm buildings outside there would have always the old cross might be kept and if it was very dried out it might be sprinkled on the crops and a lot of our crosses would actually incorporate some of them would incorporate the potato into the cross or the sheaf of corn. so it's, a, it's almost like you're really looking to bridge it to protect and yeah. and look after a crop that you haven't even sown yet you know so
0: yeah, I suppose we we often yeah. think of we 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 think of the harvest Thanksgiving, but we maybe don't think so much of those traditions in and around spring when there's a kind of a a prayer of hope. Which you oh, spring is that time, isn't it? Essentially, has that hopefulness. Yeah, that's but it. But the cross, the cross itself. Um goes back to a story of Saint Bridget and her, uh, supposed her silence. In fact, she wasn't. She was. She had very little to say. But when, when she said something, it was worth listening. Uh, the making of the cross yeah. is is a particular event that is to, is told as as the story of that, isn't there?
6: Yeah. And also that she's that she picks up rushes. There's a chieftain who's dying who she, wants to be converted, so has, can't really speak. But as a result, she just makes a cross and he's suddenly able to, he's able to to speak for that moment to be converted to Christianity before he dies. So I think, but she picks up rushes off the floor and spreading rushes over floors, uh, clay floors would have been, always been tradition. Mm. Uh, traditional, even up to uh, to a few generations ago. So, um, so it's the simplicity of the rushes, you know. And um, so we would have a lot of crosses made out of rushes, but um, a lot made out of just even small pieces of wood some yeah. there's one out of goose quills with every type of cross you know in the country about 330 actually wow. in the museum collection so all different styles from the 1940s um, they came in via the Irish Folklore collect, um, Commission and uh, the collectors were going out and then School teachers were great and they were posting in different ones as well. So, but we welcome kind of new crosses that people are making now and new ways that the tradition has moved on. So, there's there's so many Irish children are bringing home crosses to parents who come from a different cultural Mm. um, identity. And they're like, how we merge these two traditions is very interesting, you know. So, so yeah, so that's.
0: that that's what we still yeah. want
6: to collect the contemporary yeah. you know today's um, but, today's yeah. contemporary is
0: tomorrow's tradition what about the pre joke what is that
6: uh, the pre joke is a doll it's a, like a doll effigy of british but most likely used made with straw as well blessed straw. and um and then brought from from house to house um by the biddy boys like um and the doll could be known the bridog is the word for a bride, but the doll was often known as biddy. And, and um, explain who the biddy, biddy boys were. were.
0: Yeah. Explain biddy,
6: who the biddy, the biddy boys were kind of, yeah, they were kind of guys dressed in, um, often in straw costume. If there was an excuse during the traditional calendar to go and dress in straw and go in disguise, <laughs> people found a reason to do it. Certainly men did. I don't know whether we're going to take the tradition back for women now this time. But um, yeah, so the biddy boys would bring around this doll effigy of Bridget. And so they'd want you to welcome Bridget into the into the community. But really, they're collecting money for a kind of a party in Bridget's honour, but it's really probably a party for drink and, uh, well. and crack, you know, so, <laughs> for Mary so they often think, Yes, exactly. That's the merriment part, and I suppose it's like they say a rhyme like, um, "This is Bridget dressed in white. Give her a penny for this dark night." She and so, were deaf. they dressed dumb, for God's sake, Stewartson? <laughs> yes. yeah.
0: Were they dressed something like the straw boys themselves? You know, the straw boys exactly. that we associate with um, certain parts yeah. of the country.
6: Yeah. Yeah, they dress like them and they dress like um, mummers at a different time. So other parts of the country, but definitely, yes, the straw boys, that sort of covering, mm. you get away with anything if you've covered, your, your, <laughs> if you've disguised your identity. Well, that's so, great. Um, yeah. And um, so the other thing would be the breath breeder. People might have left out uh, a little bit of fabric or a ribbon, a ribbon breeder, ribbon bariga, And they, that would be leaving that outside in the windowsill. So, and so it would have been blessed by Bridget as she passes through the country on the eve of her feast day, blessing homes and farms with yeah. her crosses. So then, then the next t- day that would be used. And I I've left right. out a piece of red. Yeah, yeah. If there's something, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. All we right. have a red belt from my dad. Do- for the last five years like well, from a court go. she had so we and, but yeah you put it on if somebody was sick or they would a very sore throat or something during the year that, um, that Used piece of for that. that bridge would Which be suppose, curative yeah, yeah and it face. goes
0: back to that healing aspect of St of Bridget well thanks so much for joining us with us and sharing those traditions with us this evening Clodagh uh, and Clodagh speaking to us there uh, from the National Museum of Ireland Country Life a current and future v- events you can find out all about them on the website museum.ie let us go back now uh, to those poems that uh, commissioned by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Molly in First Saint Bridget's Day, 2021. We listened to the words of Paula Mehan earlier on. Let's listen now to uh, the words of Dírín Nigrefa At Bridget's Well is the title of the poem, and it's read by Osara Azams. <laughs>
4: When rain fell on the path of stone one by one we appeared alone each of us wore a different face but we were all the same drawn by ache to lift green latches drawn by want to walk the dark passage past paper stairs we knelt and wept We who fed the well in rivulets. Whose plungerists trembled with vessels of blue violets. We each spoke a spell of stone and in her gloom heard prayers turn poems. Ask her, breathe. What will become of us? Listen, liquid, the syllables, the echo, luminous.
0: Just love the sounds that are made within all of that. Those the words there of Dyrne the Grefa in the poem At Bridget's Well, read by Osara Azams. As, uh, as uh, the second of three poems from the Department of Foreign Affairs and Molly celebrating St. Bridget's Day. Now, when we hear the names Schumann and Mendelssohn, it's probably Robert and Felix that'll spring to mind, first of all, rather than Clara and Fanny. So to continue our St. Bridget's Day special, I'm joined in studio by Grainne Mulvey, composer, and in our Cork studio, Ro- studio Roisin Marr, Artistic Director of the Finding a Voice Festival. Now in its sixth edition, the festival honours women music, musicians and composers throughout the ages and from around the world. Roisin, the, the easy question, first of all. I mean, obviously historically women composers have been overlooked and undervalued since the devil was a wee fella (laughs) have you come anywhere near giving us a why or answering the why part of that question
7: Oh, I'm not sure why. I think it's probably quite uh, quite complex Mm. (laughs) number of reasons. But, you know, many of these women that we programme in Finding a Voice, you know, were very celebrated in their own lifetimes, you know. So, for example, you know, Fanny Mendelssohn, who you mentioned Uh. was, you know, renowned as a, you know, as a pianist, as a conductor. She wasn't allowed to, you know, to go out like her brother Felix and, and make a living in music, but she was very highly regarded as as a, as a composer and as a performer. And Clara Schumann was again renowned as a performer primarily in, in the 19th century. Um, but I mean, I suppose really for composers going back even earlier again we find lots of instances where they were accepted and regarded and performed during their own lifetimes and then after their death you know they they just gradually became overlooked um, so what we're trying to do with Finding a Voice is really mm. you know bring that music back and uh, and and include it and encourage people to, to listen to it and, and you know just I suppose normalise uh, music by women composers you know going back through millennia really uh, because they've always been around
0: yeah, and I suppose um, you know when we think of particularly uh, Clara Schumann and Fanny Mendelssohn we are talking about a specific point in time and female writers had exactly the same kind of experience where they'd often disguise themselves <laughs> or Absolutely. pretend, to be, to, pretend mm-hmm. to be male writers across other uh, careers as well. But yeah,
7: and we get instances of that in the 19th century. So, for example, uh, Ethel Smythe, the, the English composer, you know, would write under a pseudonym or would just use her initials again, as you said, like the authors, mm. to disguise the fact that she was, she was actually a woman. Um, so, it, but even apart from the 19th century, I suppose, you know, women were writing music in you know in the in the 12th century with Hildegard of Bingen and you at know, least she's recognized
0: earlier. she's recognized potentially as the in, the inventor if such a <laughs> thing. Is the right word of <laughs> classical music?
7: She is. I mean, she's such a remarkable person and such a remarkable composer. But I you know I suppose she was only she was only made Saint Hildegard of Bingen in, in in 2012, and I suppose again for centuries she was probably overlooked. And it's just really in the last mm. you know I suppose few decades that we've come to realize what a what a huge impact. She Had um, not just on music but on, I suppose, the kind of cultural life of the Middle Ages.
0: Well, I suppose, um, Grania sitting opposite me, of course, it's all different (laughs) now, Grania, that we're in the 21st century. It's all easy and everything's totally equal. I'm sure you'll say, Yes, you're right, Sean. Um. Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> Not
8: quite, no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, this festival that Roisin and cleena are directors of have mm. certainly given women an opportunity to get their work aired and to get it out there. And, um, you know, it's, it's testimony to those festivals that more performances and that are happening for women. Um, but as far as, if you look generally at the stats, a lot of the time there are more male composers um, programmed in various big festivals. Um, take, for example, even the 2016 commemoration um, in the concert hall, there was far more men programmed than women. And in fact, four times four to seven times worth the work, you know, mm. and each for each person. So that's that still needs to be addressed. Yeah. I think we still need to have addressed.
0: And interesting yeah. enough, I suppose you're picking up this programming issue, which of course had uh, the big uh, event in and, and movement in and around that was waking the feminists in and around the the programming in the Abbey Theatre theatre some years back, and I believe Rosine. It was it was in the wake of waking the feminists uh, that that yourself and your sister Cleena sat down and kind of started to think about this festival. In fact, am I right?
7: Uh, yes, I yeah. I mean, there's another organisation called uh, Sounding the Feminist that uh, oh. actually. I suppose formed kind of directly after the, the or in in recognition of Waking the Feminists and it was around that time as well that uh, as you said my myself and my sister Cleanna sat down and started to kind of hatch a plot I suppose to, to get more music by women out there uh, but I, I've been teaching a, a module on women in music in um, it's the Cork School of Music it's now part of MTU uh, since 2009 and so I suppose it was something that I was always very interested in uh, but after a while I started to look at you know uh, what my students were performing and, uh, and and kind of see okay actually a lot hasn't changed in the last kind of couple of decades and you know is there a way of speeding up this process yeah um, and that's really where, where finding a voice kind of came out of um, but it, you know we're delighted to still be around six years later and still you know I suppose putting on music we've we've done music by well over a hundred women composers now from around the world um, and obviously we really want to celebrate Irish women composers, yeah. so you know it's fantastic to have people like Grania uh, associated with the with the festival.
0: So, which is why yeah, for this particular festival, you, you've you've commissioned uh, Grania's work. Uh, what what remit do you send, and I'll ask Grania how she responded to it. Then, <laughs> what kind of remit would you did you have when it came to? I suppose particularly where we are in terms of the decade of, of commemorations, uh, yeah, and the, the nature of the festival itself.
7: Yeah, well, it was actually, it was quite, um, you know, just a little bit of kismet, you know. Uh, so actually, the idea came from the singer Ailish Kerrigan, who is going to be giving the premiere on the, the 10th of March. And she approached me and said, oh, I'd love to commission Gráinne to write a piece. And, and then Gráinne said, yes, yes, I'd love to. And it, it sort of really went from there. Uh, but the fact that Gráinne then went and picked these pieces of texts that were taken from speeches by Irish women compose or Irish Irish women activists, uh, it just all really ties in nicely mm. with what we're trying to do with Finding a Voice, you know.
0: Yeah, and Grania, the, the title of this new piece is Until the Women Are Free. Tell me about the, where that text comes from and the various texts that you've used across the piece.
8: Um, well, Until the Women Are Free is a quote from Hannah Sheedy Skeffington. And it's it's just until the women of Ireland are free, the men will not achieve emancipation. That's the, the full quote. And because she was a strong activist and was a, a pacifist as well and against conscription. And of course, her husband then, Frank uh, she uh, Skeffington, was murdered in nineteen twen- fifteen, just before the rising had happened. And she went to the States then to, to garner, garner more support for her campaign and um, for you know against conscription and that was one of the main things that she campaigned apart from um, being in the franchise league the women's franchise league um, so that that started me thinking that I'd um, embody the text and that with some of the words that she had said and also there's Harriet Morrison as well who's another um, female activist who was born in Ulster but actually, then emigrated to New her family emigrated when she was a child to Dunedin in New Zealand. So she became a very strong activist at that point in her life.
0: And we're talking in and around the same period as, as yes, Hannah. Exactly. She, she yeah, is yeah, yeah. Have, have you chosen women from other uh, periods in history? Yeah, as I've well?
8: chosen um, Claire Daly because of the repeal. And I've also chosen a, a bit of um, Joan Burton as well because she makes a statement which really gave navigated my way into the piece, actually, and mm. it's... She says that women find uh, or men find soprano voices too whiny. That's basically it. So it starts with their voices are too shrill. So um, she explains that, you know, a lot of the time this is ir- an irritant mm. for a lot of male counterpoints, uh, or cu- counterparts within the political system. So she she makes that point very strongly. So that was one way of navigating the whole you know, a lot yeah. of the texts. And, and then you- clear, um, then Elizabeth Coppin as well, because of the Magdalene laundries as well, the mother and baby home, the tomb, you know, yeah. a, a crisis and everything. All of those were signals as well. But the great um, source of um, uh, research really came from the book uh, called Irish Women's Speeches, Voices That Rock the System by Sonia Tiernan. So I'm very grateful for her permission use, as well to, to use, use some of the text that was you've, wonderful, you've, done yes. this,
0: uh, you've done this type of thing before in, in using texts and texts from the, the, the mouths of great women. Yeah. Um, just get, I want to listen to a little bit of your composition, which is called great women okay. this is a previous composition and i think we'll just listen and I, I, we'll know i think people will recognize pretty immediately the text that has been used in the background here which is the voice of former president mary robinson citizens
5: of ireland the of the spirit of you have chosen me
3: to represent me, and i am
0: That's just a, a short section there from Gruenja Mulvey's "Great Women," a previous composition. Now, let's be clear: this is not part of the uh, the premiere. until the women are free because we can't play something before <laughs> ahead of the premiere, can we? <laughs> um, so that's yeah. why that's why we're listening to that previous piece. But what it what it showed to me in some ways there, gronia you you mentioned this thing about the, the the male counterpart often giving out, and the the Joan Burton thing about the shrill voice you didn't shy away from the soprano voice was that a very definite and, and yeah, decision I really wanted,
8: there yeah I really wanted her to come out strong and um she, she does so you know in this particular part, and she's using a few Latin words like "equalis" oh. uh, and and you know uh, power to the people and justice for all people and and uh, equality etc. and texts like that in, in in Latin. So that's also um, another um, tribute to women's uh, you know emancipation from from the the chains of kind of like dictation of the church or anything else as well. So all those elements come into it yeah. at that point and, and Mary Robinson's well with the Kyukud, you know the fifth mm. the fifth province which lives in the head and, and there's really something that
0: um, and was that was that Eilish, um Kerrigan that we heard singing in that recording was that she there as well who's singing the premiere of the new piece?
8: Well, Ailish um, is singing in the premiere of the new mm. piece, yeah. Um, but um, no, well, that was just Elizabeth Hilliard just, just just embedded oh, right. completely in the other piece, mm. yeah. But I'm delighted to have Ailish Kerrigan because it's a different quality of voice, and uh, she's a wonderful super- a mezzo-soprano. So I'm delighted over that, and you know, all concerned as well in the ensemble.
0: Absolutely, and and obviously, um, Roisin, you you have. This, the contemporary music is, is being represented, contemporary Irish music being mm-hmm. p- represented particularly in this premiere, but the festival goes uh, broader than that as well. Uh, tell me a little bit about some of the, the other female po- composers that will be represented at the festival and how that will happen.
7: Uh, yes, absolutely. Thanks very much, Sean. Uh, you know, obviously, it's wonderful to support uh, contemporary Irish women composers. Mm. But uh, we we do have, for uh, for example, as well, we've got some early music with uh, Claire Duff, uh, who's the leader of the Irish Baroque Orchestra, and Rachel Factor, and they're going to be playing music from the 17th and 18th centuries, including music by Princess Anna Amalia of Prussia and uh, and other composers. Um, and then we've also got uh, Eleanor Kelly, who's going to be our music in residence and so she's going to be playing a lot of guitar music by uh, Latin American mm. composers um, you know so a bit of tango and, and so on and then we also have uh, Antonio uh who is a Spanish pianist who's been doing an awful lot of work promoting music by women yeah. composers In and fact so I have
0: one of them here You, you have, have one on of those a, here yeah. Yeah. yeah
7: we can't wait to have Antonio over because he's really somebody who is you know who's yeah. recording and promoting music by, yeah. by women um, so that will be much more I suppose romantic and classical music yeah, uh, as well. so, let's, yeah. let's,
0: let's finish by listening to a little bit uh, Germaine Taifair is the, the composer here can you tell me much about her before we listen to her yeah, lent, so, played by Antonio uh,
7: perfect yeah so she's she's a composer a French composer from the early to mid 20th century so she's primarily best known as a member of uh, a group called Les Six uh, she was the only woman member but uh, again her music is, is just so beautiful and, and often overlooked uh, it's not the first time that we've programmed her music but it's the first time that we'll hear this particular piece
0: all right well let's have a, a little taster then of the lente of Germaine Taillefer. That is Spanish pa- pianist Antonio Ayarzabal performing the music there of Germain Taillefer, her valse Lent a and that will be one of the pieces that he will perform as part of the Finding a Voice Festival which takes place in Clonmel, County Tipperary from Wednesday the 8th through until Sunday the 12th of March Until the Women Are Free which is the piece composed by Grania Mulvey who was with me in studio this evening. That takes place on Friday the 10th of March in Old St. Mary's Church and for full details. Details of that and everything else happening at the festival go to findingavoice.ie and that is our lot for this evening Michelle Gibson was the broadcast coordinator Tommy O'Sullivan was on sound and tonight's programme was compiled and researched by Amandine Paso-Divine Talk to you tomorrow night, 7 o'clock once again here on RT Radio 1, John Creedon will be with you after the news